Hi there, welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week I speak to Sam Davey. Sam is a graphic designer originally from the UK who worked uh, throughout the late 90s and early 2000s for uh, Apple over in California. And he helped them uh, change their design to the Apple that we know them as, as today. So um, yeah, there's a really lot of interesting um, interesting conversation and a, a real insight uh, into his career. Nowadays, Sam has his own company called Park Social Soccer. Uh, they make artist design soccer balls and uh, for every soccer ball that's sold, they give one to uh, someone who needs one. That's a, a really good concept and a really good cause. Um, yeah, enjoy, enjoy the interview. Okay, I'm uh, sitting here with Sam Davey. How are you going, Sam? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, supplying me with a premium beer. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. At least I could do. <laughs> Better look after the guests. You know, <laughs> even if it is 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, so, uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, so, where, where are you originally from? Um, I'm originally from a, um, a small town called Cottingham, uh, just on the outskirts of Hull in East Yorkshire. Um, its claim to fame was it was the largest village in the UK because it didn't have a mayor, which classified it as a village. Uh, but yeah, there was about, I think probably growing up, maybe like about 30,000 people living there, something like that. It's pretty much connected to Hull, like there's not really much of a gap in between. Yeah, so it's like a side side suburb almost. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. Sort of it has Hull on one side and then sort of countryside and a lot of um, farm and agricultural um, land on, on sort of on the other side of it, between sort of it and York, going out that way into Yorkshire. Yeah. So you've, uh, you've been a graphic designer most of your life. Yep. Um, were you into art as a kid or did you see design just as another job and get uh, into it? No, I was really into art as a kid. It was yeah. pretty much, I'd say, probably the only thing I was actually any good at. Um, um, you know, it was, the, it was my favourite subject at school. I loved drawing, painting, painting portraits especially. Um, and then I... Um, I guess I, I, I kind of got quite interested in um, sort of early hip-hop um, when it was coming over from the US um, and just sort of found myself kind of, you know, drawing and, and sort of copying album covers and um, things like that and, and you know, a little bit of skateboarding as well. You know, we used to, me and my brother used to sort of make our own skateboards and sort of try and sort of copy the designs that, you know, the, the brands were doing and... Um, yeah, sort of, I think, probably got me into design yeah. in the early days. And do, um, you st- do you still do any art? A little bit. Um, um, yeah, I'm sort of doing some at the moment um, on my sort of late, latest project, sort of a little bit of scribbling on my own. Um, yeah. Not as much as I'd like to do, you know, I kind of haven't got the paints out for a while, but yeah, um, yeah just sort of drawing and sort of doodling, really. Yeah, any skating? No, 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 I break my legs, I reckon, if I try to get on a board these days. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you started working for a design studio in East London, 
yeah. uh, in the 90s. Yeah. Like, I've, I've worked in design studios in East London, and they're absolutely everywhere, along with the um, trendy bars and restaurants. Yeah. Um, what was East London like uh, during the era you were working there? Um, not like it was when I left. Um, I guess I started in the, I was there in the mid 90s, so sort of 94, 95. Um, I worked on uh, Leonard Street. I'm trying to remember the name, the number. I think it was 89 Leonard Street. It was right near the Alfred Hitchcock. If you, anybody's listening from London, it's like this big Alfred Hitchcock sculpture of a film reel at one end of the um, road. I know, that's a real big blue one. Isn't yeah, it? the big blue yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, kind of looks like a big circle with an X in it, and you yeah. say, sort of like, "What's that?" And it's a yeah, it's the Hitchcock one. Oh, exactly. Um, so I was down that street on the left hand side. There was like an architectural salvage giant across the road, and there was like one pub. It was like the Griffin. We used to like go in the Griffin all the time. They had a pool table. It was an epic evening where we had the the the, the first time they got Caffrey's on tap. That was quite special sticks in my mind but yeah there wasn't you know there wasn't any bars there was just no bars no yeah. no shops nowhere to get any, to any food yeah it was kind of quite it was very different um i remember when um there was the first bar around there it was called the cantaloupe and when that opened there i remember they came around with that little flyers and came up to our studio and they were like, oh, we're opening a bar. And everyone was like, what are you doing? What? Like, and they were like, yeah, we're opening a bar. It's going to be really cool. And handing out flyers. And yeah, that was kind of the beginning of that whole sort of, you know, gentrification, shall we say, of East London. Yeah. Yeah, it's thriving now. Mm. I imagine <laughs> if I went back, I haven't been back for a long time. Imagine yeah. if I went back now, I wouldn't even remember it. It would yeah, be quite shocking, I reckon. Yeah. And what was the um, design studio you were working for? It's called Union Design. Yeah. Are they um, still around? No. 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 Um, it was Union Design. There was like five of us. We did some early record covers, a lot of um, uh, sort of magazine projects, work for Fiden Books, things like that, art books, um, a few sort of small identities for... Um, you know, furniture companies and things like that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of drinking, mainly. It's <laughs> a serious amount of drinking that was going on. Half drinking, half designing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And did you, um, did you have any mentors while you were starting out? Did you work with good designers? I did, actually. Um, uh, funnily, I, I got my job in a really weird way. It was, I started off as an intern. And the reason why I got the internship was because I filled in at a five-a-side soccer competition that was going on in Spitalfields Market. And the, 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 um, it was like an inter-design studio thing. And I got invited down by somebody, I can't remember why, and this, these guys from Union Design said, oh, can you, can you play? And I was like, oh, you know, I can play a little bit. They were like, oh, you know, can you fill in? And I was like, yeah. And like, you know, scored a few goals and, you know, we kind of won the comp and they were like, oh, you know, you're a pretty reasonable lad. You know, why don't you come around on Monday and show your portfolio? So I did that and through that got an internship. And, um, and then the, the two guys that ran the studio, one guy was called Tim, the other guy called Robin. Um, Robin became a really close mate. Like he was a bit like a dad really to me at the mm. time. Um, you know, sort of moving down from the northeast and living in London, you know, didn't really have any money, living on floors, 
you know, usual story of hardship and woe or whatever. But um, he was, yeah, he taught me about design, really. Like, yeah. he was very knowledgeable, very, um, yeah, very smart man, very into the, the history of, of um, sort of modern, modern design, um, had a huge library of, you know, typography books. And just made me, he actually made me, um, he'd give me a tap challenge every week, which was organize, organize the bookshelf by, you know, by genre, by um, influence, by all these different kind of ways of categorizing the bookshelf. And it was a big bookshelf. Mm. Um, and I just learned, you know, learned all about the great, you know, typographers and Stuff like that through that, really. Yeah. Um, and then he'd ask me questions like, why did he put this guy next to this guy? Or why is this book next to this book? And I'd be like, oh, because they're green. They like the green. He's <laughs> like, well, that's not, you know. You know really teaching me about the content mm. and what they were trying to say. Yeah. I think so. And Robin, you know, he's, he's still a friend there. Like, he's a good guy. Yeah. Very smart man. It's a bit of a shame, the, uh, it's like the death of the design book. Like, I still exist, but... I remember, um, you know, pre-internet mm. going to design agencies and they just boasted a massive library of, oh. of beautiful design books. Oh. And I, I worked for a company called Mucho in, uh, in Barcelona and they still prided themselves on, on their big mm. library of um, mm. design books. Mm. And then you'd speak to the owners and say, oh, I haven't seen a library like this. And they said, yeah, it's not just the content. It's like how the book's made and how it's designed. Mm. And... Um, there's so much more to a design book than, than photos mm -hmm. that you can see on the internet mm -hmm. now. It's, mm -hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it's a, there's not many, uh, yeah, there's not many of them around anymore. No. You know, it's like you used to go into every single design studio and it was like a massive mm. library. You know, it was you yeah. sort of almost like you um, judged the worth of the studio by the, the quality of the, um, the books. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I um I worked for one in a uh, design agency in London called Brand Me, and they are uh, they were selling all their books when I, I was working there, and they just said we don't need them anymore. No one's looked at them in years. Um, and so yes, yeah, so I picked up a few uh few well they just gave them to me luckily, but I got some really nice uh books all on you know I got one all on Art Deco, and oh, I definitely. I love Art Deco yeah. and stuff as you can yeah. see by the yeah. the flag yeah. Yeah. and um. Yeah, I yeah just picked just scored some some nice little gems from mm. there, but there wasn't a lot of uh, like all the design like the proper graphic design style books were were gone, but it was more like ones on like Russian poster art, yeah, things like that that were left yeah. behind. It's like yeah, I'll take all them, thank you. you know? I always think, you always find something. I love yeah. looking for books, and I always find that I find myself picking up a book that or doing something that I haven't done for a long time, and you're sort of halfway through doing it, you're like, why am I doing this? And you kind of keep going, mm. and then you see something and you go, huh, mm. that's really interesting, or I could use that here, or I could do that there. It's, mm. quite, it's, just, it's just different from looking on the internet. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a different way of consuming information, and it's exactly. still both are relevant, it's just mm. both are different, better for different things. Yeah, exactly. But, um. Yeah, so so in the nineties, you were poached by Apple to design for them in California. Correct. Um, how did all that come about? Um, through um, there was a uh, a woman who was our studio manager 
um, at the at the um, place I was working at um, called Cameron Cameron Campbell, um, and she was American, mm-hmm. um, and we got on really well. She'd moved recently moved back to to San Francisco with her then husband who worked at IDEO, and she'd gone for an interview at Apple for some role or another, and um, got talking to the recruiter, and the recruiter said, oh, you know, we're looking for a, a senior creative to come and help us set up um, an internal graphic design and marketing um, function, basically, within mm-hmm. Apple. Do you know anybody? And she said, well, actually, yeah, I do, and she took my hat in the ring, and I remember at the time getting like this random sort of two-line email to my Hotmail account at the time and mm. um, from this recruiter at Apple. And at the time, it was like, you know, Apple wasn't what it is today. You know, it was mm. like, you know, rainbow logos and Garamond typefaces and, um, yeah, very different. Um, but, um, yeah, that's how, it, that's how it started. That was the initial... Yeah. Approach. So did you play a, um, a big role in the transformation of the look and feel of yeah. Apple as a brand? Yeah, um, yeah, along with a bunch of folk that we kind of brought in, we did, um, yeah, we, 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 yeah, we took it from rainbows to sort of jelly logos to flat logo, we brought in the new typeface, which is really interesting, um, going from Garam onto Myriad, um, changed the way the personality of the brand you know it was yeah. it's quite interesting you kind of had to rethink the way that um you wrote headlines because the typeface was different it was so synonymous with apple yeah um but yeah it was yeah we yeah we we drove it through really drove it through the packaging in the stores the transformation yeah the sort of the cleaning up and the sort of the more you know yeah, more streamlined version, shall we say. Yeah, the well, less is more approach. Yeah, yeah, it was really sort of, yeah, following the, following where the products were going, where, where Johnny and his team were going with the products, just, yeah, taking cues from that and yeah, simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah, and were you, did, uh, like, so that was forward thinking back then, we, like, was it exciting hearing about the developments they had coming about, like, like, were you, the iPod wasn't even invented when you started. It just, it just, it just come out, the first one. Um, it was, it was, it was kind of, I mean, it was, I guess when you're in it, you don't really notice what, what the hell's going on around you. And then yeah. you sort of have these moments where you sort of go, hang on a minute, like something really, um, you know, really sort of like unique is kind of happening. Um, yeah. So we were just working, you know, we were just like, you know, head down, bum up, you know, cranking away, making packaging, designing all sorts of different things and not really necessarily thinking about the bigger picture that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you sort of like, you sort of catch yourself and, you know, with sort of key moments like, you know, iTunes music store or something, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh, hang on a minute, like, we're doing something really... It, you, you sort of realise that you're in this sort of transitional period of a, of a major brand going from a, a manufacturing business t- to being a kind of a consumer electronics to being an entertainment brand. You know, it's, it, 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 yeah, it's, um, it was, yeah, 
it was quite a special time, and I, you, you sort of, you didn't, you, after a while you realised that you were in something quite interesting and you didn't want to kind of miss out on it and you wanted to learn as much as you could because it was not going to come around again, you know, I guess. Yeah. Did you get to, um, were you designing icons and everything for, say, like the iTunes icon? Were you, did you, were you doing no, things like that? No, the, 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 um, all the icons were done by a different team. Um, they were the... the, the the software interface guys, mm. who, who were also like I mean, super talented guys. Um, we were we were doing all the packaging, all the all the stuff inside the stores, you know, store windows, um, everything for the website, all the photography, all the writing. Um, um, we worked with the advertising agency on the campaigns. We uh, and then all the content that we used in all the pieces of software, so mm -hmm. in all the photography that you use in iPhoto and iMovie and all that sort of stuff to promote the actual product itself, that's what, that, you know, that team did that. Um, and then all the stuff like, you know, iPhoto books and all the themes for Kino and, you know, all, yeah. and iMovie and all the themes that were inside the, yeah. the products that we, we did all of those, all the startup sequences, so when you, Desktop pictures, you know, the names of all the products are coming up with like lion and tiger and leopard and snow leopard and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, when you when you got a new Mac, you know, you had like the kind of welcome sequence and all, all, all of that that kind of went on was us. But the the actual icons in the in the in the toolbar were um, were, were different different team. Okay, but you you know you had a big role in styling Apple yeah. because, uh, you know, I always found that when you get an Apple product and even when you get that welcome thing, it's all, it's always like, um, really modern and it's with the times and you know that everyone else is going to follow that and rip that off. Um, you know, from what I, you know, I just remember getting Macs and all that and I didn't know how to use a computer until I started studying design. Yeah. So I you know, got a got a Mac laptop. Yeah. And um, and I remember you know everyone else around me just using PCs, and I look at them and just go, "Gee, they look like shit." <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know, you look at the interface or you jump on yeah, someone yeah. else's computer yeah. and try and type an email or, or something, and it's just like, "Oh man, this is this is so ugly." You know, um, yeah. So you guys did a really good job, and I think uh, Apple. Would, you know, set the trends for a really oh. long time. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's a lot of smart guys there that did, you know, we we were just, I don't know, standing on the shoulders of some very smart people, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, like, so you would have seen the development of the iPhone as well? Yep, yep, iPhone was the last product I worked on before yep. we left. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. Um, it was um, interesting to see. Yeah, I remember um, uh, sitting, being delivered a Pelican case with, um, you know, like a handcuff on it and the whole thing and having to sign for this, um, this, you know, prototype and sitting in a, um, a dark, um, edit suite 
and opening up the Pelican case and actually seeing like the first, um, yeah, the first working sample that, that was kind of delivered to our team. Um, and, you know, sort of pressing the home button and kind of seeing this thing light up and, you know, sort of playing around with it, just sitting in this room for 10 minutes or so, like fiddling with it, like just, uh, I couldn't, at that, at that point, you know, we've been, we've been messing around with, you know, trios and Motorola phones and all this sort of stuff to try and get a sense of what surfing the internet on a phone is like. Because mm. at the time, couldn't really do it. Yeah. You know, the upshot of that was like, it was bloody frustrating. Mm. Um, and then seeing this thing that you kind of had in your hand and you were just like, holy fuck, like, this is incredible. And I'm not a real tech geek kind of a guy. And it just, it just blew me away at the time. It was one of those moments I think will always stay with me. Yeah. It's been a kind of quite sort of seminal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. Because I remember I was working for a company at the time when the iPhone first was first released in Australia. Yeah. And, um, and the boss wanted one so badly, but he wanted to do it through the business. So everyone... Um, you know, so he, I don't know, he could work out some tax break for it or something yeah, yeah. like that. And so uh, everyone working for the company got one. And I just remember that day um, getting, you know, the iPhone arrived and just opening it and that packaging was just all so special. Like, even yeah. just taking it out of the box yeah. and all that. And um, yeah, just, every, I didn't even know what to do with it. I was like, it was, you know, because... You, it's like you magic know, when you yeah, just yeah, it's, yeah. It's like... What they did, it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with like, you know, you you designed that packaging as well. You were part of the team doing. Yeah, that. yeah, part of the team that was doing it. There was um, uh, that time. I sort of at that time I sort of stepped away. I guess from being kind of quite hands on on all of that sort of stuff. There was um, there was a guy Jamie um, that was leading the charge on, on a lot of the packaging with another guy Scott. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was really, you know, and just trying to figure out packaging, I, you know, found was a fascinating process, you know, like, you know, putting it in, you know, checking it for different sorts of temperatures, you know, putting it into freezing temperatures, into heat, into vibration testing and all of that sort of stuff. And I remember working on this box and the guys wanting to, you know, make it as simple, obviously, as possible with the least amount of parts and, um, we got to a point where we wanted that we were trying to, I think we were, I don't know how we got to this point, but we got to a point where we were trying to figure out the actual width of the air gap between the lid and the body of the box bit so that when you actually just dropped, rested the lid on the box and just left it there with no pressure, it would take about 120 seconds to kind of drop down onto the box. Um, we had this idea, I think at the time, Guinness were having an advert, which was the length of the Guinness pour. And I think we had this idea that we could do this same thing with the, with the box lid, where it was kind of like a mark of quality, I guess. It was just sort of, mm. you know, the fact that we'd thought about every single aspect of it, even the fact that the, you know, the air gap just kind of gave it that, you know, that feeling of a, you know, shutting the door on a quality car or, you know, that kind of, yeah. that kind of vibe, really. Yeah. So, um, 
Do you do you have any idea that the iPhone was going to be as successful as it was? Or uh, yeah, we had a pretty good idea. when we saw it and we started using it. We had a pretty good idea that it was going to be quite successful. But at the time, you know, like Nokia were like the dominating force, mm. and yeah, it was. You know, they they had the market like sun up really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as soon as you saw it, I think we were all like, yeah, this is gonna this yeah. is gonna be quite big. Try surfing the net on an old Nokia, eh? Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> or a Motorola Razor, I think is what I was using at the time. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Text messages only. Yeah. So did you uh, did you work alongside Steve Jobs much? Yeah. Um, I saw Steve pretty much every week, I'd say. Mm. Generally on a Wednesday was our, was our day. Um, and yeah, we'd go in and present just take working really the way that he worked was quite sort of I guess physical quite hand, hands on in the way that he worked you know it wasn't there was no you know I don't think I ever produced a I never produced a keynote presentation or a PowerPoint deck in the entire time I was there it was always you always had the conversation through the actual object so it was you know we used to just design lots of boxes really um, or lots of Sort of banners for the um, the wall graphics in the retail stores, you know. So it was like it was one of those two items that we used as the vehicle for kind of figuring out how we wanted to position the product. Yeah, um, and that was really the conversation that we had with Steve was how is the product positioned? You know, what's the hero image? What's the hero headline? And then he was kind of done at that point, and then we kind of basically took it and you know, fleshed it out across all the other channels and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Was he um was he similar to the way he's being portrayed in the media? It's being like hard to work with or anything like that? I think everybody's got their own take on it. Um he I found him at times to be challenging, um, and other times to be um incredibly fantastic to work with. You know, yeah. like you could flip flop between one and the other, really. Um, yeah. Every time you met with him, you learned something. You know, there was never a, a her hum meeting. You know what I mean? There was always, you're always going to get something out of it. Might not necessarily be the answer that you wanted, but you'd get a response, you know, you'd get a reaction and you'd learn. Sometimes it might not be immediately, but you know, sometimes you'd have to go away and like really try and process what the hell he was talking about. But you, you know, it would make you a better. It made me a better designer. It made me a better thinker, shall we say? Yeah, there's nothing like being challenged on a weekly basis. No, feel no. It's like being, sometimes it's like being punched in the face on a weekly basis. You know, yeah. like you're going back in, back in, back in on the same thing, and yeah. and not getting it right. You know, like not being happy with it, mm. and you just have to sort of. He wouldn't really give you that much kind of, you know, constructive feedback in those regards. He's not going to solve the problem for you. He's just going to tell you, I like it. And you're like, okay, all right, well, I'm going to do something different then. And then you come back and you'd be like sitting with the team and you'd be like, he doesn't like it. And they're like, why doesn't he like it? You're like, ah, uh, he just doesn't like it. So you got to try and figure out why he doesn't like it. So it makes you kind of really think it, by doing it, it was like a long, frustrating process sometimes, but by doing it, it really made you really 
try and understand what he was thinking. You know what I mean? Like, you really had to get into his head. Yeah. Which meant that you really had to get into the brand. You had to really intimately understand the brand. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting um, education. Yeah, definitely. So what um, what made you leave Apple and, and uh, move over to mm. Australia? Did you move to Australia straight after yeah. leaving Apple? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, my wife married a Melbourne girl. Yeah. Um, a while ago. We've got... Um, at the time, we had two kids. I've got three now. Um, we never... I guess right from the beginning, I'd never really seen myself as staying in the States for a long time. I liked it. I like California. I think it's a great place. Miss it. But never really envisaged my spending my entire life there. Mm. Um, I knew that if I didn't put a time limit on it, it would be very um, hard to leave Apple. You know, it's like you've got, you know, big budgets, you can do stuff, you know, you got a whole bunch of people, you know, blowing smoke up your ass sometimes and telling, you know, saying how great the brand is and blah, blah, blah. I just felt that I wanted to kind of go as kind of hard as I could for a period of time and do as much as I could and yeah. get it to a point where I could kind of transition out and move on and try something else. So yeah. That was sort of really the plan from the beginning in a way. And um, my wife couldn't work because of visa issues. So, you know, she was um, you know, kind enough really to kind of allow me the time to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, we sort of had a bit of a deal, which was that we wouldn't do it forever. So time was right. And um, after about six years, and um, yeah, moved moved here. Yeah, well, I guess you um you saw out the, the sort of the you know the the golden years of Apple. I yeah, guess. yeah, the sort of the second coming of Steve. Yeah, you know it was the you know they they'd done sort of iMac, first iMac, articulated sort of neck iMac, and then the first iteration of the iPod and then yeah that's when I joined till fun so it was like yeah it was it was good timing I have to say like, yeah. there was a shitload going on yeah a lot to keep you kind of occupied yeah like watching from the sidelines now have you seen you know you see their new releases now and there's not I don't know I, me personally I, like I'm a no tech tech guy or anything like that but I noticed with their releases it's it's not as um spectacular as as their previous ones have you have you noticed that as well or yeah a little bit i think just the business itself i mean it's like it's it's kind of a sad state of affairs really when the world generally you know it's amazing it is still amazing stuff oh yeah don't get me wrong yeah you know it's incredible stuff yeah. but we're so desensitized to it yeah they're like oh yeah like another oh cool you can get it on your watch now oh, well yeah you know like yeah. whatever, do yeah. I want it? Do I not want it? But when you actually think about the work and the effort that's gone in to actually produce that, like it is quite phenomenal. Yeah. But um, I agree. I think that it's potentially suffering from 
there's they sort of set the style and now they're iterating on a theme. Yeah. Whereas before we were kind of like deciding what the theme was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think it's, I think it'll probably come out. They'll do something. They'll, there'll be something and they'll, they'll do another zag when you think they're going to zig and yeah. they'll, it'll, that company's not done by any means. There's, oh, no. no. There's too many smart people there. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good to hear. So, um, when you first came to Australia, what, what uh, type of work did you start doing then? Well, I was still consulting for Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pretty much as I was walking out the door, I remember having a conversation which was something like, Australia, right? That's pretty close to China. And I was like, <laughs> similar time zone, but not that close. And they were like, oh, well, that'll do. Um, could you like go up and down to um, China and help us um, set up a marketing communications group in Beijing? And so I, it was really great. I mean, it was a fantastic opportunity for me to spend some time in Asia, which is a, a sort of a region that I find really fascinating. Um, but... Um, and it also gave me some money coming in, which was fantastic, coming mm. to a place where I didn't know many people. Um, so in those regards, it was great. Um, but it was, um, it, was, it, was, it was lovely to kind of be sort of, I guess, trusted enough to help them um, sort of figure out how they sort of started to engage with a completely different culture, mm. really. Yeah. Um, you know, up until that point, they were really just sort of translating web pages into different Asian languages. And we sort of started to kind of set up the function of being able to actually do, you know, develop content that was relevant in those regions and, and then, uh, you know, and then pump that back into global, you know. So we sort of set about the functions to sort of turn it around the other way, which was, which was great. And it was all really sort of the precursor to them opening retail. So we opened the first retail store there in Beijing, the first flagship. Um, and yeah, that was it. I sort of did that sort of on and off for about 18 months. Yeah. Um, and then during that time, I was trying to find some work here locally that I didn't have to travel so much um, and bumped into the guys at Crumpler, which is like a Melbourne founded bag and luggage brand yeah um and um yeah they were I guess they were sort of in a in a sort of a transitional period as well where one of the partners was sort of wanting to sort of exit the business and he was the design partner um and the brand had sort of stagnated a little bit um and it was sort of I don't know like asking themselves questions about which way they wanted to go and do they keep going or, you know, what, what, what happens? Mm-hmm. And um, um, I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, I thought the quality, I really sort of, I guess I'm a sort of very attracted to kind of quality products. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I saw the quality of what they were doing and the, the kind of old school craft of like, you know, hand, you know, literally hand-drawn templates and patterns and stuff like that and, yeah, it had a very appealing 
sort of um, physical nature to it. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting challenge to try and apply some of the things that I learned at Apple, but then learn completely new skills, you know, mm -hmm. like learn skills about manufacturing and logistics and supply chain and, you know, kind of running, you know, a small, you know, essentially a small brand mm -hmm. um, and trying to take it through a kind of a, a, a period of sort of cultural change, you know, sort of trying to, you know, trying to grow it, trying to kind of, you know, put systems and stuff like that in place to allow us to be more efficient, but then at the same time not lose this kind of very sort of interesting and unique culture that the brand had. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I think we've managed to kind of find a balance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's sort of what I did. Yeah, that's, you know, what sort of occupied my time here. Yeah. I was reading a thing about Crumple the other day about yeah. their lifetime guarantee and all that. Oh, yeah. But I like the uh, their backstory, how it's like the, the guy that started it, one yeah. that, you know, custom made a bag that could carry twelve beers and he could yep. ride his bike with them. Yep. Well that's good on him. It's such an uh, such an Australian way hmm. to start a company. Yeah. Yeah, they basically <laughs> Yeah, there a bunch of guys that had a bike messenger business and needed banks yeah. and one of the guys who was riding for them made a bag and sort of they decided to ditch the messenger business and go into the bank business. Mm. Yeah, they've got a they've got a good attitude towards things. Yeah, good on them. Yeah. yeah. So um, so now you've uh you've started your own company. Yeah. Uh, Park Social Soccer. Yeah. So um, you know, tell me a bit about that. Um. Well, I've always been um, as you can imagine. I mean, going back to the my first story, I've always been quite interested in, in playing football, playing mm -hmm. soccer. Um. And um, uh, since having kids, I've been quite active in coaching um, grassroots soccer and sort of seeing the benefits that that brings to kids, you know, like seeing, I, I, it sort of fascinates me how, you know, like, you know, you've got like sort of 16 kids or whatever that you're looking after and you're trying to teach them something and, you know, like what turns a light on in one kid is, you know, doesn't work on another and, you know, trying to, you know, sort of suss that out and when you get it right you know like it's you know watching them actually sort of pick something up and learn it is um i find really re rewarding um so i was i had an idea which was that i guess i kind of become frustrated at the kind of over commercialization of the sport and i had an idea around trying to create a um a soccer brand that is solely exists to support the grassroots of the game but um, so I started one. It's called it's called Park, um, and we started by ma manufacturing and designing soccer balls. Um, and for every soccer ball that we sell, or for every one that anybody buys, we give an identical ball to a kid or a community or a program or a school that needs it. You know, for various different reasons. You know, we can use them as incentives to stay in school, get good grades, to kind of run soccer programs in places where, you know, they don't have the ability to do it. Um, uh, you know, and just using all the great social and community benefits of playing soccer and, you know, being a part of something and actually having a goal and um, something to focus on for, for kids and, and, um, and youth that maybe don't have that in their life. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. It's fairly early stages, but um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, and like you, you've uh, custom designed the first ball yep. I've seen. It's yep. uh, it looks it looks really good. Oh, thanks. You, you, um, you sure you're uh, sure you're not an artist uh, on the side? <laughs> no, no, I'm not pretending <laughs> to be an artist by any means. It was born out of necessity. I kind of needed to design a ball, and I had minimal. Um, minimal options for doing it so I just went and bought a few sharpies from uh, from the shop and sat down with some blank balls and started drawing on them and um, I think the, the I guess maybe the naivety of it kind of comes through and actually is quite appealing at the end of the day and you know, it feels I mean ultimately the brand is sort of trying to talk to you know sort of teenage kids and it sort of feels quite accessible yeah um, it was a lot of fun doing it I really enjoyed it yeah um, good yeah yeah so you're looking to get uh get more artists involved to yeah draw more balls yeah so the idea being that uh you know i kind of you know can hang up my sharpie and sort of um hand it over to you know people that are far better at it than me and and um and start to yeah work with different artists to, to, to use the ball as a vehicle for you know telling stories you know getting messages across um you know having some fun with it you know like doesn't you know it doesn't have to be you know too serious you know it's like in fact you know it really shouldn't be it should be something that but um yeah like working with you know the idea being that we could actually you know develop different series of balls and work with different artists and put them out there and you know start you know getting getting kids kind of you know sort of stimulated with their feet and with their minds as well yeah yeah it's great uh it's great giving back i you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when giving back to the planet, you, you receive more and you receive more joy and um, value out of your life. You, you certainly um, get what you give, I think. That's what yeah. my mum always told me. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So, um, are the balls available for sale now? They are. They actually went on sale today. I uh, flipped the switch on the website. So, um, yep, they are available for sale. Um, at parksc.com um, yeah they're, they're out there congratulations <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sold one to my brother earlier on today so that was good yeah one one down one many, down many more to many, go many thousands to go yes. yeah millions uh, so like, what's your ultimate vision for Park? Um, what I'd like to do I think is is have a you know have a credible you know a credible sport brand mm -hmm. that's central you know reason for existing is to support the grassroots of the sport yeah um, and that promotes you know inclusion promotes um, you know understanding of different cultures you know uses the sport for um, what it was originally designed for you know like actually bringing people together in a community way and not being about you know winning and competitions and money and fame and all of that sort of stuff but actually having a yeah having a credible brand that 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 people like and just want to you know want to buy into yeah but ultimately we're you know we're supporting you know um communities yeah you know I think I don't, you know, I think that at the moment we're starting with, you know, with balls, you know, we could move on to, 
other you know other parts of you know apparel or um, you know all sorts of different things but you know and also getting out there and and providing you know coaches and assistance and you know running programs and those sorts of things I think I don't know, connecting I guess the consumer with the um, with the issues yeah you know like rather than sort of going through a bunch of layers in the middle it's like I think the opportunity now is to you know directly connect people yeah make them feel as though they can actually do something about the things that they care about yeah yeah so uh, what countries are you you uh, um, we're in um, Australia obviously um, and the US mm-hmm. um, and we're do- I'm doing it with a um, I've got a partner um, Tara who um She's a fantastic, um, fantastic girl who I worked with at Crumpler. She used to run our business in, in America for many years. Um, avid soccer fan. Um, she's a New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're doing it uh, together. So we're going to be selling balls in the States um, and here. And actually, you know, shipping them, you know, we're going to ship them anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, fundamentally, we're going to, you know, we've got a, a kind of a, a representative in, in both in New York and, and in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, uh, we might might leave it there. Yeah, I think I've probably rambled on for no, quite a while. No, you've done well. You've done very well. <laughs> um, so where can people find out more about you online? Um, I guess going to... Um, if, they, if they go to Park, they'll be able to find out more yeah. about me. There's a little section... Um, at, at parksc.com um, yeah it's probably the best the best best place to start okay alright well uh, thanks for coming on the show today thanks thanks and for having me no worries it's, um, it's been really great to hear yeah. about you know your, your life adventures thanks very much no worries check out the Bench Talk website benchtalkpodcast.com There you can listen to past episodes and keep up to date with what's up and coming on the the podcast. You can also listen on SoundCloud. Just search for Bench Talk. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. Thanks, and I look forward to you tuning in again next week. See ya.